All content on this channel is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as professional financial advice. Should you need such advice, please consult a licensed financial or tax advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of information on this channel. We are talking today about a company called Coupang. The ticker is CPNG. Um, when you started doing the research about this company, what did you think about it? Honestly, Gil, I, I love that you threw the name out there. I never heard of this company. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Amazon, though. So Ooh. that became fun to just compare and say, look, you know, how are these similar and how are they different? Um, I think for those of you like me that had no idea what this company does, uh, it is a $52.9, $53 billion market cap e-commerce company in South Korea. Um, they're maybe about what, 12 years old, founded in 2010. Um, mm -hmm. And it's basically the biggest online marketplace in South Korea. So it's effectively the Amazon of South Korea. And, and what they do is basically offer delivery of goods. They have some different um, services they're rolling out. So they have fresh grocery deliveries with what they're calling Rocket Fresh. Um, they have Coupang Eats, which is similar to like an Uber Eats. And they have a streaming video platform. They call it Coupang Play. Um, and that's kind of like uh, Amazon Prime, I would say. Uh, the streaming, not, not necessarily the membership, but same idea. And it bundles them all together in this like rocket wow, which is a lot like Amazon Prime. So it's a subscription service. Um, and so it really just looks like Amazon in South Korea. And, and that forces you to do some interesting analysis, right? Like how do you compare South Korea to America? Uh, how do you compare uh, their, you know, their competition and their geographic advantages or disadvantages to where they are? And, and of course, some of the regulatory and government stuff is going to play a role over there that's a little different than over here. So um, that's the direction I took it in. I don't know if you had other pieces to add uh, on, on just overview of what they do uh, yeah, or, or the, who they are. The CEO, Bong Kim, he graduated from uh, Harvard Business School, I think, and then went to Korea. And then his idea for Coupang at first, when he started it, was it was a clone of Groupon back when Groupon was hot, right? Like the, the deals thing. And it just didn't work in Korea. And he pivoted. And then he turned Kuping into this like uh, delivery system, like, inter like internet marketplace delivery system, like the way Amazon is. And that's how he was able to build his success. I think that- Oh, one interesting. Of the, the, yeah. So it was like a pivot and then he became successful. And one of the interesting things about it is that when I was doing this research, I was like, why isn't Amazon like- killing it in South Korea, right? Like why is Coupang like succeeding in here? Couldn't Amazon just take its business model and like just do this? Like it's been doing, it's like the OG in that space. Like why is Coupang doing this thing? And um, I, I started looking to Amazon in South Korea and it turns out there's like a lot of protective protectionist barriers that the South Korean government has put into place, making it very, very hard for companies like Amazon to really operate very well in South Korea. Like you have to just, you, like you can't even just like 
naturally as a customer in South Korea buy stuff on Amazon. Like uh, you, you, you have to like go through all of these extra hoops with like payment processors and like a check or something drafted from your bank or something like that. It's like very, very hard. So Coupang as like a native South Korean company um, actually has protected advantages against a competitor like Amazon in their space. Um, and it's like, now the question is like, if a flower grows in a protected field, you know, and you want it to grow in other fields and compete in other fields, uh, other markets, like, does it have the strength to survive? Right. Because I yeah. know it flourishes in one condition, but I don't know if it flourishes in another condition. And I think one other thing I would touch on just, I think there's two two big differences between Coupang and Amazon. And you touched on one of them, which is, um, you know, they, they're basically protected. They're in a, like a walled garden to try to build up the business. Mm -hmm. They don't have to directly compete with Amazon, but they are competing. They are competing with some big rivals, right? eBay has this um, uh, G market, which yeah. is, uh, they, they have a 20% market share. So there is an element. I think Amazon has about 40 40 to 45% of the US e-commerce market just completely cornered. Uh, and I don't think we have anyone else in the States in double digits of, of percent of US e-commerce market. It's all single digit companies. Kuping has about 25% of South Korea's e-commerce market. Um, and the closest one I could find was this G market, which is owned by eBay, um, mm -hmm. which has about 20%. So it's not a dominant market position. Uh, it's two, you know, two market leaders. There might be some other there's another company too we'll talk about that, that has a chunk there. So I think competition is still a major factor. They haven't pulled away to dominate like an Amazon has. So I think that's one big difference we should talk about. And the other is Amazon, don't forget, like one of, I know your favorite things about Amazon is it's AWS, you know, the, the cloud Amazon web services that they provide. Mm -hmm. It is a cash cow for the rest of the business. They basically have a profit, a massive profit margin and a cash engine inside of Amazon to let them keep their margins high. Basically, they can price down goods. They can reduce, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, they, they can they can feel, you know, funnel money into the business and let them do all kinds of stuff to beat competition out that doesn't have that kind of cash in the back of it. I think Coupang can't do that. They don't have an AWS, you know, and they, they can't just make one. Ironically, um, they do have a lot I, of cash on hand for the. Yeah, uh -huh. sorry. Go ahead. Ironically, I was going to say, I think Coupang is run on AWS. Like they use AWS. Yeah. <laughs> no, you have to. I think everybody does. That's yeah. kind of what makes AWS so great. Right. Um, but they do have cash on hand. I think I saw in S1, it's like almost $4 billion in cash uh, at yeah. the end of Q3. That, that they was can from the IPO. Fund a lot of their, yeah, at the beginning. Um, and, and oh, they did, by the way, we should also know, they IPO'd in March. So mm -hmm. Uh, it is relatively new listing. Uh, they IPO'd around 35, I think at $35 a share. It's now trading doo -doo -doo at 30. So a little below IPO, it looks cheap. So I think that's the basic premise is you have an Amazon competitor, a Amazon lookalike in a market in South Korea that's growing, you know, that's got good growth. Uh, they've got a chunk of market share, uh, lots of cash on hand, lots of market potential. And they have an offering that looks very similar to Amazon. Uh, how do you value this company? How do you evaluate what they're doing and look through the numbers? Um, but I, I do think those two things are important to note. One, they aren't a dominant player in the same way that Amazon is. And two, they don't have infinite, you know, a, a recurring cash reserve that they can draw on to continue to outcompete everybody like Amazon has. But other than that, they are very similar. Right. 
and you know, one of the things that drew me into this, so like, you know, I, I have, I have, I remember, I remember in, um, I think it was in 2010, like I, like I put together that like nerdy presentation about how much I loved Amazon at work. And um, <laughs> I think at that time, like a lot of people thought that like AWS didn't exist yet for Amazon at that time. And at with the time that I was making that like nerdy little presentation, um, it, it like Kindle was not yet launched. Like, cause in my last couple of slides, I was talking about how like, oh, Kindle success is a free call option that, you know, is not yet priced into the company or blah, blah, blah. And I think they were only building their like fourth or fifth distribution center in the US at, the, at that time. Now they have like over 38 distribution centers, I think. So um, they've grown a lot since then. But I remember what I really liked about Amazon was the, the way that the CEO thought in the long term. So Jeff Bezos, you know, you read his letters and you, you know he has a long-term mindset and you know what he really thinks about is not like goosing the share price today, but really thinking about long-term sustainable competitive advantages and the growth that comes from that. And I think at the core, what makes Jeff Bezos successful is that he always cared about the customer. And, you know, he's vilified today as this some sort of like, like you know, cartoon villain of like rich guy Lex Luthor. But the way he got rich was he really thought about making a lot of people happy. Because that's the only, I mean, I think that's one of the few ways that you can really get rich if like you make some people, a bunch of people happy. And that's what Jeff Bezos did. He like delivered goods um, priced very well uh, in, a, in a very, very convenient way where you'd never really have to go out to a store. Um, and you could just rely on being able to find a very whatever you want because the selection was nearly infinite in that store. And that's a, it's, a, it's like a hard to beat value proposition that rocketed them to success. Now, I'm thinking about what's happening here at Kuping and what I like about Bong Kim, who is the CEO of Kuping. And I'm reading his letter and he goes, what is our mission at Kuping? Our mission is to create a world where customers will wonder, how did I ever live without Kuping? And if I delete the word Kuping and I insert the word Amazon, I can see Jeff Bezos saying the same thing. Like Jeff Bezos is successful because he created Amazon in a way where people will say, you know, I wonder how did I ever live without Amazon before? Like if you're really heavily dependent on like Amazon delivering anything you want within a day, groceries or whatever and, and books, um, and you would actually feel like something's missing from your life if Amazon were to just shut down immediately and disappear in a day, right? And I think Kupang does that same thing. And the other thing that like I look at from Bong Kim's overall strategy is, you know, he's organizing his company to make trade-offs and optimize on three different fronts. Number one, providing amazing service. Number two, offering low prices. And number three, offering broad selection. That's very, very similar to actually the Amazon playbook. Maybe the yeah. um, focus on amazing service is a little bit differentiated versus the Amazon's overall strategy, but it also makes sense to focus on service because Korea is such a small market and there's actual competitors in there that they still need to kill, right? Um, so, if you think about the experience for an individual Kupang customer, 
you know, the story that Bum Kim says is that imagine you're a mom and it's uh, you're busy from work and then you're trying to give dinner to your kids. And then you realize that there's a bunch of stuff that your kid needs for the next day for school. But it's like it's the evening already. You don't want to go out and like go gather these school supplies. So what do you do? You can order stuff from Coupang on your phone that evening, like 8 p.m. And it will be delivered at your doorstep before 7 a.m. It's called their dawn delivery service. And do you pay for this? No, it's free. It's yeah. just the way the site works. And to, in my mind, that's mind blowing, right? Because like where I live here in Southern California, Amazon at best can get you um, same day delivery on some items. And then you might have to pay for it or at least be a prime subscriber, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Um, maybe in cities, Amazon can get you uh, some stuff delivered faster. And, you know, this company is doing these types of amazing things like Dawn Delivery and it's doing it for free. So it's building all of these like wow experiences that really build a lot of customer loyalty. Um, and the, 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 it's so important at a granular basis to wow each individual customer that you touch because what you really need to do is not just win them over, but have them begin to rely on your service and in order increasing amounts of stuff from you over time. And also love your service so much that the, per, your, the customer tells all their friends and family about this and spreads the good word about how awesome um, this service is. You know, as, as you try to evaluate that in a tiny little bubble in South Korea, it's easy to have uh, Amazon's footprint, right? Comparatively, they have a, what did I see? They have um, uh, fulfillment centers within seven miles of roughly 70% of the South Korean population, right? That's pretty impressive. That, that's a pretty broad footprint. And, and Amazon also, you can't get too far without seeing an Amazon warehouse and, and their network is incredible. Uh, and obviously the U.S. is much, much bigger. Um, but again, does that scale? Do they have the operational excellence to scale that out of South Korea? Uh, the other thing from the S1 is talking about growth. Obviously, you can't become you know, an Amazon level company, uh, both in terms of valuation and, and you know, revenue. Uh, by staying only in South Korea, you have to expand. And that's where things get really hairy for me. And I, I guess we can get into it. Um, do you want to okay. do a little more qualitative? Do you want to dig into the numbers a little bit? Yeah. So based on what uh, I saw in the Q3, I started building like this scratch, you know, run of the like back of the envelope model for it. The key part is obviously customers. So they say that the number of active customers, as in people who order, um, have ordered in the past month, is uh, 16,823,000. So let's call it 16.8 million customers. That's not, that doesn't sound like a lot, like 16 million customers. But if you think there's 52 million people in Korea, 16 divided by 52 is like 31% of the, um, the Korean population. In America, that would be the equivalent of having 100 million 
um, users. Right, but let's put that, that's exactly right. Put that in context. Amazon has about 150 million users in the US with a population of give or take 330 million people. So it's yeah. about 45. So they're literally like, it wouldn't be wrong for us to call them the Amazon of South Korea, right? <laughs> um, right. And um, okay, so we have 16.8 million customers. How much do they spend? Um, what happens is that they said that they spend $276 per quarter like the customer spent $276 per quarter. If you annualize that, that's about 1100 per year. But obviously like the annualization is wrong if this company is growing because um, you know, saying that people spend 1100 a year based off of the data point of 276 in a quarter, um, it, it's gonna be wrong because it, it, you, people might spend more next quarter, that kind of thing. Um, so what does that translate to? It translates to like an annualized revenue um, of, you know, uh, of 18.6 billion a year. That's their run rate. If people are spending at 276 per quarter, you annualize that at 1,100 per year, which is gonna be wrong, but let's just use it anyway. And then that's gonna translate to uh, 18.6 billion in revenue per year. Their gross margins right now um, are 16%. Um, so that means that off of uh, the annualized revenue of 18.6 that I'm predicting, they're gonna get a gross profit of about 3 billion. Yeah. Um, the, the other interesting thing I, I, I wanna like kind of highlight here is that the, when I think about coupon, and in the last known data point in Q3, they, their customers were spending $276 per quarter, which as I said, annualizes to about 1100 per year. I looked at some data about South Korea. People always talk about how like the Korean, South Korean market is, uh, has high internet penetration. Like nearly everybody is a digital native in South Korea and has good internet access. And, I was wondering, okay, like how much money does an average Korean make? And, you know, how much money do they spend on internet? Like, you know, internet purchases. And it turns out that right now, uh, based on what Korean households, the average Korean person makes, um, it translates to about $2,000 in spending per year. And if I'm thinking about the coupon numbers, 276 per quarter annualizes to 1100 per year. Like, is a South Korean spending roughly half of their internet spending on coupang? Or 2,000 per year, 1,100 goes to coupang? That's kind of crazy, right? Um, if these numbers are true, uh, that must mean that coupang is kind of like working its way as like the seamless logistics provider for internet purchases for the vast majority or for a good chunk of the South Korean population and it's growing their dependence on the service as in the value that they get from the service is growing quarter over quarter so it's some pretty interesting numbers there yeah I think we're glossing over one key point right which is their revenue per customer has been dying for the last three quarters 
right? Mm-hmm. They, they were 44% growth in Q1, 36% in Q2, 23% in Q3. That's a trend, no? I, I don't know. I mean, you can, you can lump COVID in there. I saw they had like, you know, a, a warehouse fire that they were able to write off in Q2. There's just all kinds of stuff. You can work around the numbers, but that doesn't look promising for increasing their spend per customer. And to your point, they're already saturated there. They're, I don't think there's that much more disposable income to spend on e-commerce that they can expect to double up what they're making per customer. So their, their growth of net revenue per customer was 44%. They went from 262, uh, uh, you know, per, per $262 per active customer in Q1 to 263 in Q2 to 276 in Q3. That's 44%, 36%, 23% respectively. So there's marginal gains um, from what they, again, if you compare their Q1 2021 to Q1 2020, it's insane. It's like a hundred and something percent. But I think that starts to plateau. Again, maybe it's 50% of your of your online spend. Like maybe there's a number there. Uh, and again, comparing to Amazon, like what is your average Amazon customer spend? So I did a very similar exercise to you which is, you know, Amazon has about 150 million active users, prime subscribers in the U.S. It's 45% of the population. Their annual spend of an average prime customer, I think, is about fourteen or $1,500, depending on where you look. Oh, um, man, I'm way above average. To get... <laughs> I'm, way, I'm spending more than that. No, 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 Gil, don't worry. I meant, I meant monthly. I meant monthly. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I looked at how long did it take them to get that much market share? Like, when did they go from 30% to 45% of the U.S. market mm. share? Obviously, you can't, you know, it, it's uh, proportionally the same, but it's a ton more users. And right. the U.S. is a much harder market to do that because it's geographically spread out. Right. It took them five and a half years to do that. Yeah. And so now I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, right, you're not going to get, even if you put couponing at the same value per customer, let's say $1,400 per customer, just like Amazon, mm. you're expanding your services, you're offering streaming and food delivery and whatever. And you can get to the same average spend and you get the same market share. Let's call it 50% of the South Korean market. It's 30 million users. Mm-hmm. It's not that much. You know, you're, you're talking about somewhere around 50 billion in, in, in revenue, right? right. Give or take. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and let's say it takes them, let's say they're, they're just as well operated as Amazon. It's going to yeah. take them five, six years to do that. Not that exciting of a, of a CAGR, right? You're looking at just below 30%. That's less than some of the other companies we've evaluated on this pod. So like in a best, best, best case scenario. Um, and again, I, I do want to talk about some of the competition and I want to talk about other geographical issues about trying to expand out of South Korea. But if you just take the South Korea piece and, and you're doing a good job of looking at the average person there and what they make and what they spend on and how you know, digital savvy they are and, and how this is a digital forward company. I'm agreeing with all of that, but I just think you cap a little bit of your growth potential when you focus in just that market. And it assumes they can easily come to dominate that market in the same timeline that Amazon did. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it is hard because they're playing in a small plate sandbox, right? And even in like ultra bullish scenarios where you make wild assumptions like there's 52 million people in Korea and they get 50 million customers, right? Like near 100% penetration in the South Korean market. And then I do, I modeled out something like, oh, they double their spending per quarter from 276 from Q3 
to in this unknown future bullish scenario to $500 per quarter. So that annualizes the $2,000 of spending per year on 50 million customers, like 100% penetration in South Korea, right? How much revenue does that make? That's 100 billion in revenue. And then, you know, uh, if you assume they still have the same gross margins as today. So like today they have 16% gross margin. In this ultra bullish scenario, they still have 16% gross margin, um, which is probably not going to be true. Like if this is ultra bullish and they have this kind of penetration and density, gross margins would have to go up, I think, because they'd get like economies of scale. They're basically delivering to every apartment building in South Korea. And so they, yeah, they get huge margins. But basically, let's just keep it at 16%. So they get 16 billion in gross profit. And, um, you know, 16 billion gross profit on a, uh, in the future. Well, I also think your spend per customer is crazy, but that's okay. We can work with it. Yeah, also, the yeah. market cap I have is close to 50, 53 billion. So let's say that it's 52 billion, right? That, that makes then, your argument even even harder, right? Like yeah. that's an even more uphill battle. Because I'm looking, I'm looking at yeah. like 16 billion um, of gross margin, gross profit on a 50 billion market cap. It's not satisfactory on an ultra bullish scenario that might never happen, right? Like that, that would be really scary uh, to, to buy in. And for, the, and for those reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and that, I mean, okay, so here's the, here's the other part, right? And I think you wanted to get to this, which is that like clearly the market is pricing in um, the idea uh, that they're going to expand into other markets. Because if this was, certain that they would always only stay in South Korea, then the current market cap of you're saying 50 billion, like is ridiculous. Um, like it, it just can't be sustained if they're only gonna stay in South Korea. So the assumption has to be that they're going to take this model um, and then expand it into other mar- markets. And then part of that assumption would be they will be successful in some, if not all of those markets and replicate their success in Korea in these other markets. I put that into my big section of risks, right? So you just went through the most bullish case I could imagine for only landlocking in South Korea, which again, like, yeah, super bullish, but it's also bearish in their ability to expand. So, you know, yes and no. Um, But I, I think... I think you have to look at this just broadly, like there are risks to this business. There's risks in South Korea, right? We talked about G market. They're also growing. They went from 19 to almost 20% market share. Um, there's a company called Emart, uh, right, right around the IPO for Coupang, the South Korean retailer. Uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but it's like Shinzei I don't know if you, uh, maybe it's better. Just offended <laughs> all the Koreans, like, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost our, we lost our two Korean listeners. <laughs> There's no way we had to. That would be an infinite increase in Korean listeners. That's true. That's um, true. I probably but, uh, Yeah, this the, the the retail the retail group bought a tech company called Naver, uh, and mm. it's a stock swap swap deal, whatever. It's a strategic partnership. And in the letter, uh, you read the shareholder letter. It says they're going to leverage Emart and their 7,300 offline stores to introduce same day or next day delivery service, yep. fresh food delivery. I mean, it is a direct competitor. And never is the scariest uh, competitor in, for Coupe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for exactly. sure, for mm-hmm. sure. And it's the number one discount store chain in Korea. Like that could put a huge dent, even in the optimistic South Korea only scenario, right? right. So it's just, 
you know, it, it, it's, it's a problem. And then it, it, forget just out, right outside of South Korea, right? You have to gain overseas users to have any excitement about this stock, I think, mm-hmm. right? It's try, I saw they're trying to take small steps into Japan, Taiwan, other parts of Southeast Asia. I saw as like kind of in the near-term roadmap, right? But those areas are completely dominated by other players. Amazon's already there. You mentioned it. Uh, Rakuten is there in in Japan for sure. Uh, There's a company called C, uh, which is in Taiwan and and other places in Southeast Asia. It's it's a big issue. And I read also, and I don't know if you listened to the conference call from the CFO uh, of Kuping. Uh, they talked through a bunch of stuff and, and the only, for like five seconds, they talked about overseas. He mm-hmm. said it's, it's, you know, it's a major catalyst, whatever. Uh, the only quote from the CEO is that the, the efforts are in a nascent stage, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that, that scares the crap out of me that you, you can't dominate your eBay com- competition locally. You've got massive expansion risk with much, much bigger and more entrenched players. Plus like there's just other risk. It, it's not a U.S regulated company like you've got antitrust possible problems you've got all kinds of like Like war uh, problems you know know, north korea goes yeah exactly yeah it's not on it's it's not unrealistic so you just have all this other stuff that's that's gonna that's gonna make it harder to to consider that a realistic scenario for just smooth continuous growth it's like compared to when we talked about dutch brothers you're talking about cultural differences between you know, the West Coast and the East Coast about right. what kind of coffee they want to drink. We're talking about like a country like, that could be at war, that could just shut this down. Like, I don't know, we look at, look at uh, Pinduoduo. Like it, it's a yeah. similar kind of company that we spoke about. That company's down 70% from when we covered it and both liked it. We got crushed. So, and and I think a lot of that. That was bad. Yeah, we yeah. got crushed. Yeah. We got crushed. And, and I think a lot of that is because of the Chinese government, not because of the operations of the company. I, I mean, in Pinwodo, it's a good company, but the Chinese government basically said, take all your profits, give it to society, and then also uh, pivot into agriculture, right? And so, yeah, that's why, that's why like, things have been a mess for, for Pinwodo. And then in Kupang, yeah. I, I think that the risk that the South Korean government would do that kind of heavy-handed thing is much less. But as you said, like, why are we taking all this extra risk? If we are taking this extra risk, that means that the price should be lower, right? Like we should be compensated for that risk. But yet the price is in many cases um, overextended for what they are in South Korea. And so the price is already incorporating some future success in um, outside markets. And then you're sitting here and you're saying like, oh, you know, like it's already pretending as if it's mildly successful in outside markets, but we don't actually know that. Like it's in a nascent stage, quote unquote, right? So yeah, exactly. That's exactly. hard. That's hard. Yeah, I, I, I get that. All right. So uh, let's get to the end of the call. <laughs> what, what do you think about this? Like, are you buying in this thing or are you YOLOing into this? Yeah, I feel- I feel like we were unfair to really get into why this is such an interesting company, right? Yes, Amazon, yada, yada. I think what's interesting about it is actually the price, right? It is, it looks cheap. It's below its IPO price. Uh, and again, looks cheap is super relative. But when you compare it to like, an, again, I, I keep going to Amazon. It's just so much easier because that's a company I know well. You're paying less, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about... Um, yeah. You know, I don't know what that, let me dig up those numbers, but you're paying a lot more for Amazon's slower growth 
growth rate, then you would have to pay for this growth rate here. So like, if you think they have a similar trajectory and a similar, you know, they're going to grow faster than Amazon's growing, which they are, even if they slow down, they're still growing faster than Amazon, you know, then it looks like a bargain, right? You're paying, uh, let's see if I can find the exact price. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're paying, you're paying basically for a faster growth rate, you're paying a, a, a discounted price. And that's why it looks interesting. It looks, it looks inexpensive relative to, you know, uh, what is it? 1.8 times next year's sales, right? Yeah. Amazon, for example, is 3.2 times next year's sales. So you're yeah. paying, you know, uh, a lot more uh, for, for a behemoth like Amazon that's growing slower, which again, like that's how you make your money. You, you invest in the faster growing company at, at a lower price. And this, the valuation is low. The thing is, I, I think it's justifiably low. I think the competition is real locally and certainly as they expand. I'm worried a lot about regulatory stuff, which again, you know, I got burned on, on, on PDD, right? Mm -hmm. So learning that lesson and the hard way, we have that stuff happen. I agree, PDD. they're not going to be as... Yeah. <laughs> PTSD from PDD. Um, but I don't think, I don't think South Korea is going to be as heavy handed. I agree with you. That's not, that's not a realistic possibility, but there was already some litigation. I saw there was an antitrust that they filed. Um, let me see if I can find that too. Uh, there's an antitrust case on Coupang. Yeah, there was a, on August, in August, uh, Coupang was fined 3.29 billion uh, by the country's top antitrust regulator with regards to companies alleged involvement in unfair business practice and interfering in the business of vendors. Like that kind of crap that can happen anywhere, <laughs> you know, like Regulatory. And the fact that I have to understand South, South Korean regulations in, in addition to us regular, like I'm just, it's, there's too <laughs> I, much unknown. I barely there. understand so US I'm, regulation. I'm, yeah. 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 I, I was completely full of shit when I said, I understood you. I, I don't understand us at all. <laughs> so like to, to try to like add on and stack on Korean regulations. And then as they expand Taiwan and Japan, I no thank you. So like, yes, it is, sure. it is, valuation wise, it looks inexpensive relative to some of the other big e-commerce players. You could compare it to Alibaba. It also looks cheap to Alibaba. It looks, um, I actually pulled in DoorDash, which I thought was interesting. DoorDash is the only one that's just, the numbers still don't make any sense to me. Um, but you're paying even, even a much more um, kind of enterprise to, to revenue multiple. You pay a much higher one for DoorDash. But right. regardless, it just, it feels like there's too much risk and too many unknowns here for a scenario for them to get to a valuation that gives me a um, an exciting enough return to take that risk, there is no scenario that I can envision that, that justifies paying the price now. Uh, and to be honest, I don't even know what would have to happen for me to look at this again, right? Like a lot of these companies we cover, it's like, oh, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. I'll keep tabs on it. I'll check in on it in six months, in a year, or check on the growth, check on the expansion, make sure they're not diluting product or the, the you know, the, the, the footprint continues to grow at the same rate. This is one where like, I don't really care what happens. I, I just, I can't imagine a realistic scenario. They'd have to like beat Amazon in an area where Amazon was winning already outside of South Korea for me to be like, oh, wow, that's really, there's something unique there. Otherwise to me, there's just, there's just not enough there. And, and, and obviously I've been a little negative the whole time and I, I'm out on this one. Um, and what's crazy to me relative to any other one of these companies we've covered there's a very, it would, it would take something pretty crazy for me to reevaluate this business. I don't know. I, maybe you have a different yeah. take. Um, you know, I think that what I really like about it is that I do, I do think that the, um, the CEO has got something. He's got the right ideas, the right kind of strategy. I feel like I have, 
he just gets you just get this like gut feeling about him that he's going to be successful kind of like you know back in 2010 i started reading bezos's shareholder letter i said you just get this gut feeling that like this guy knows what he's talking about and he's going to be successful but you know that kind of like weird mumbo jumbo like fuzzy feeling thing isn't really like you know maybe the the most investable like thesis ever right well you you might have a better ability to evaluate i just finished reading uh the biggest loser the story of uh we were oh yeah and uh, yeah yeah if you read that you know that's masayoshi the 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 founder (laughs) of the vision fund for softbank his his entire justification for investing in WeWork, billions of dollars into WeWork, was he just felt the connection to Adam. Yeah. And like, uh, that can be yeah. very perilous, Gilmore. Yeah. He's know, just, that doesn't work for me. This this Newman dude, he's just got such a good vibe about him. I'm going to, he, he's asking for 500 million. So I told him, no, 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 you take 10 billion. Because <laughs> well, I like this vibe. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's not the best yeah. thesis. I know. So, but that's what, you know, like you get a feeling about something and you start doing the research and then you decide whether or not it, go, it makes sense. Um, I think that um, it is very uh, an interesting company in the sense that it is very strong on the qualitative aspects. I really like what they're doing for customers in South Korea. And I think that's why they've been, you know, successful in that sandbox. I think that I could imagine a world where in like, the um in the limit like the 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 the, like their greatest success would be in uh replicating the model in korea into all of the highly dense net um uh, urban centers uh that exist in the world and that probably means that like the us will be the last place that they'll ever get into but the highest opportunity for them would be in the highly dense urban centers in in Asia, because there's a lot actually, like way more than we would ever expect as just like Americans living in America and not knowing anything about China. Like Indonesia has so many people and Singapore has so many people and they're all packed into like these tiny little areas in like verticalized in buildings. It's almost dystopian. But these are nice places to live. So, but uh, being, hmm. but basically, like, like Kupang has built a particular skill set of serving people well who are living in densely populated urban areas. And if that model is repl- replicable in all the other dense urban areas in Asia, like I'm talking about Singapore, I'm talking about like. Taiwan, I'm talking about Indonesia specifically. I think Japan will be a little bit harder because the competition is different there. But there's 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 money to be made if you can be successful there and like beat out whatever the incumbents are by just offering a better service, a cheaper service. And then also like the biggest prize is China. Like China is filled with like these uh, insanely competitive tigers that have beaten each other to death and have evolved in a way where like you have super mutant tigers who are like uh, just fierce, ferociously competitive and very, very hard to beat. And then you know what's crazy? China, the Chinese government just swooped in and like neutered them, like just chopped all their balls off and like made them eat it. Like it's 
it's nuts. Yeah. And it's taken all of this like fiery competitive spirit and redirected it into all these areas that the government said that they should be looking into. And I feel like competition has dissipated in China for like internet stuff. Like, like the spirit's been knocked out of people. Um, now fast forward five years from now, what if that's a strategic mistake? What if the right mistake was to keep China highly competitive in the internet space so that they could produce the TikToks of the world, but in e-commerce um, and then dominate the world? What if that had been the right strategy to just let competitive juices run naturally? Uh, but instead they took a different course where they neutered all of that. And now a company like Kuping that is unfettered with such like silly ideas as anti-competitiveness like builds up by taking on smaller countries like Indonesia and, and Singapore and, you know, refining the model there and then goes for the big prize, which is a significant market, market share in China. And basically I'm just thinking like, like Pinduoduo grow, grew really, really fast in China. Like it was the fastest growth I'd ever seen. I was so bullish on it. And then I, like it got thrown to the, thrown to the side of the road and shot to death, right? And then like, what if five years from now that gives Kupang, who's like built up the strength fighting middleweights, like now the ability to like enter into the heavyweight battle and begin taking share of the market. And I'm thinking in like seven, eight years from now, right? That to me is like the most exciting thing about the opportunity that Kupang represents. It is this like the story of like a young, like Luke Skywalker trapped in Tatooine where there is no future expanding to become the light of the galaxy, right? Like that, that would, it's so improbable, but what if, right? <laughs> what if? Yeah, I mean, do you really think China's going to let that happen? <laughs> like, is that more likely that they're going to allow another company, an outsider to come in and take part? Like, there's, come on, man, that's crazy. I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, you know, people, <laughs> they, there are a series of probabilistic hurdles, each higher than the next that they would have to jump through. Sure. Like, it's very unlikely. But also, like, if you asked me 10 years ago, would it have been likely for China to allow Tesla to um, operate a, uh, a fully owned plant in China? I would say no, they would always have to have a domestic JV own 51% of the company that produces in China. So, you know, you would only be a minority shareholder in like the factory that you literally are operating and building yourself, <laughs> which is an unfair thing, but that was always the policy, right? Until Tesla, Tesla is 100% owned. Oh, very improbable. But, you know, improbable things have happened. So I'm just saying that there's like a, this series of hurdles. And I'm just trying to be optimistic and see where the ultimate... Oh, I thought you were trying to turn this into another another plug for Tesla, which I'm all about. No, I'm always... No, just, uh, so so that's, where, that's where I'm thinking about it. Now, like, does that mean I should buy into it today? No, probably not. Because, like, there's a lot of hurdles that it would, it would have to jump over. But I think that what it does is it forms the roadmap for me. Because... I'm going to keep this on my watch list. It's a very interesting company. And um, what for me, like the gating factor would be proving in my mind that they are 
able to replicate their playbook in another dense um, urban center that is not Korea. So for me, the test case would be Singapore. If in the next year or two, they make significant inroads in Singapore and start pushing out C, uh, Lazada, Alibaba, or have all the pieces of the pie in Singapore, um, and I see significant traction from Kupang there, I think that's probably when I really want to try to um, to try to start uh, buying into this company. Um, yeah, that's fair. And then if it starts scaling into other countries, you know, making some success in Japan or Taiwan or Indonesia, um, that would be also when I'd probably want to scale up my investment. And then uh, the biggest risk is like when they start entering China because they could get pushed back. So I don't see that. But yeah, I'll keep this in my watch list. And like, I really need to see Singapore do well. Yeah. In order for me to buy in. Yeah. I would tell you to, to in, in the year plus that it's going to take for that to happen, you should drop me a line to revisit it. <laughs> but I, okay. You know, I can't yeah, I'll send imagine, you an email. Uh, like okay. I said, I just, yeah, I would love to, I would love to see that. If, if that does happen, look, if you can show this is replicable beyond South Korea, that you can remove an incumbent without all the benefits of, of having the protection of, of, you know, your, your locked in 20 plus percent market share. Uh, then yeah, it might be worth looking at again because there are other regions there. And if they are, if there is something differentiated that they can displace, you know, a, a C or a, you know, E-Mart or whatever, um, then that's interesting. I just again, so many hurdles for me. There are other companies I'd rather look at. I, if I had infinite time, of course, but it's just it seems <laughs> yeah. like very uphill for me. Yeah, right, right. Good. All right. Well, that was a good chat. Good stuff, Gilmore. I'll catch you in the new year. Always.